Ruth chapter 2, please. Would you join me in taking your Bibles to Ruth 2? Natalie and I enjoyed our opportunity as a little family to be gone for about a week on family vacation. Thank you to the church family for that opportunity, as well as to our staff who kept things going and heard good things about last Sunday, and many of you are back even after it, so that's good. That means everything went okay, and I'm thankful for the staff that God has put, uh, put here at Parkway, and please continue to pray for our team as um, we continue to move forward with the Lord's help and uh, the Lord's guidance. So Ruth chapter number two is uh, where we're going to go this morning. Have you ever been ready for, for change? Uh, maybe it's a, a moment. I know with the, the heat now that's here and it's setting in, everybody's going to start complaining about the heat. You're ready for cooler weather. When it was cold, you were all complaining, saying, I can't wait till it gets warm again. Uh, so we, all, we always, always want change, don't we? Well, as we've been studying the book of Ruth, I'm ready for some change. We've been studying chapter number one for four weeks, and it seems like just one tragedy after another. The crises that took place in all of their lives, these three widows now are making some decisions. The highlight of chapter number one is where Ruth makes a decision that she's going to follow Naomi, and she's going to make her people her people and her God her God. Kind of a little bit of a highlight there in chapter number one. We'll get to the end of chapter number one, and we're thinking, when is this storyline going to get good? When is it going to change? We need something a little better. Well, today is that great transition. So I'm looking forward to digging in here to chapter number two in just a moment. What we do have to remember is, is context, what's going on at this time. Remember, this happens somewhere in the time frame of the judges. And so there's no known prophet. There's no known priest that is giving any type of spiritual guidance to the people. The end of the book of Judges tells us that the people in Israel at that time, they were doing that which was right in their own eyes. So this was a very dark time in Israel's history. Ruth and Naomi live in that moment. Boaz, who we're going to meet here in just a few moment, moments, he lives in that time as well. So what is great assurance is that not everybody during this time in Israel's history was sinning against God. Not everybody was doing that which was right in their own eyes. Some still were using some type of spiritual discernment. Some were taking down that which had been passed to them generation after generation and living lives that were pleasing to God. So Ruth here is going to show some great survival skills as she and Naomi are just looking to survive the next few weeks. They're going to do whatever it takes to make it. And in the midst of Ruth's survival tactics, something amazing happens. That's Ruth chapter number two. Let's see what happens here. Verse number one. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, go my daughter. And she went and she came and she gleaned in the field after the reapers and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto a servant that was set over the reapers, Hmm, whose damsel is this? And the servant that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So 
She came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Hearest thou not my daughter? Go not to glean in any other field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of what which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes, that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? This morning, this great transition that takes place in the story, it's probably the part, one of the parts, where when people say, oh, we're studying Ruth, I just love the book of Ruth. It's probably because of chapter number two. This 24-hour period, which happens from the dark side of the story that brings it all to light, makes it this fairy tale story that everybody loves to attach to. Today, we're going to look at these 10 verses with a message I've entitled, Meeting Mr. McDreamy. That's where Ruth is today. Father, we do need your guidance this morning, and I want to start right away by showing my full dependency on you and your spirit's leading. We want to hear your message today. I would ask that there would not be anything distracting from the text, but that we would be able to hear your word speak to our hearts as individuals, and then as a church body, that we would be changed into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the worship that has drawn our hearts, our eyes, our spirit to you. We thank you for the wonderful truths that we can lift our voices about. But now as we calm our spirits, we open the word, and we open our hearts and our ears. May we be attentive to the truth that you give us today. In Jesus' name, amen. So our family just returned from a a, a vacation, and last Sunday we were in uh, Bradenton, and we visited a church there. And had the opportunity to hear a guest speaker, or, or uh, not a guest speaker, is the pastor, one that I've never heard before, and uh, really enjoyed the opportunity to hear him. Natalie and I got in the car afterwards, and we were talking a little bit about the sermon, and we were just kind of evaluating some of the things that we remembered and what we were learning. One of the things I noticed about the pastor uh, was that he very effectively used illustrations, and he used personal stories for illustrations. And as he would give these illustrations, they were something that really would stick in your mind. And I said to Natalie, I said, you know, with my illustrations, oftentimes I really like to use personal stories. Now, I want to be careful because I don't want to throw Bailey and Brooklyn under the bus all the time because poor girls, they're always the one that have the illustrations. And then when I talk about sin, Natalie always sneaks into the illustrations somehow. So I mean, I got to the point where I'm like, you know, I want personal stories, but I don't want my, my girls and my wife to always, you know, to be the end of the story. And I said, you know, I really, I wish I could remember things. He was telling stories about years gone by. And I said, I just don't remember experiences. And she said, well, you know, honey, you can ask me. She said, I have a better memory about life experiences than you do. And I said, yeah, that's true. And, and, and she said, just let me know, you know, the week of what some of the topics you're discussing and what some of the illustrations that you're kind of looking for that would be personal experiences. And I said, well, that'll be, that'll be great. Yeah, we'll team up with this and then I'll I'll tell you what the topic is. You can kind of tell me the illustration. She said, fine, I'd love to help you. She says, now, what's this week? I said, okay, well, this week is meeting Mr. McDreamy. And I'm thinking, she's got a ton of illustrations about this. She said, hmm, okay. Uh, let me think about that. Let, let me get back to you on that one. That was seven days ago, and I still have yet to hear any personal illustrations about meeting Mr. McDreamy. So, folks, you need to pray for that woman, and uh, you pray for our home. 
And uh, so we'll, we'll see. Now, chapter number two is not about Natalie meeting Mr. McDreamy, okay? I've got plenty of those stories. What chapter two is about Ruth meeting Boaz. This was a great change in the circumstance, a wonderful transition to the story. This is a 24-hour period here in chapter number two, from verse one to verse number 23. And this is going to be an amazing 24 hours that we're going to dig into for the next three sermons The odds were stacked completely against Ruth, but something was going to change as she meets Boaz that day. There's some really incredible lessons that we see from these first 10 verses, and so let's just dig into it and see what what some of these truths are that we can apply to our life. I think right away in verse number one, we see that God will set his work in motion before we're ready to know it. God is always at work. And verse number one shows that this is very true, even in this situation, as Boaz enters the scene. He enters the scene as the kinsman, the kinsman redeemer that we're all looking for from the beginning of this story. He's described as the kinsman of Elimelech, so through the exact exact relationship is not listed in the text. We do know that he is somewhere in line to Elimelech's family. The verse also tells us that He was a mighty man of wealth. Now, all the ladies are thinking, this is one great story. Ruth meets the wealthy man, and they're going to fall in love. Well, the mighty man of wealth, we want to try to figure out a little bit about what that is. The Hebrew language is a little tricky here in the original language because this is the same expression and phrase that is going to be used in different ways to use different adjectives. For example, Joshua 6, verse 2, and then Judges chapter 6 when speaking of Gideon, and then Judges 11, 1. The same expression in Hebrew is translated a mighty man of valor, a phrase that we've heard before. And then 2 Samuel 17, verse 8, again, the same Hebrew expression says a man of war. Ruth, chapter 3, verse 11, we'll come to this in several weeks. You're going to see that Boaz uses the same Hebrew expression to describe Ruth as a virtuous woman, a woman of excellence. And then in 2 Kings 15, 20, we'll find that this Hebrew expression is used as mighty men of wealth. So the details are a little bit tricky here for us to understand, but what we have to do is look at context. And so when they're translating from Hebrew to English, they're going to look at the context in translating it. And that's why when they came to a mighty man of wealth, they would see that he would have been a landowner. He would have been very generous with his giving. He had employees. He had people to his beck and call. So this would have been a man of mighty wealth. This was not some rich man in his pride and arrogancy. This is a very godly man, one who is generous, kind, and and loving. And so this thought of Boaz is that in just a moment, he could really wipe out the poverty of Ruth and Naomi. That's how wealthy he is. He could take care of these two widows' needs. He could take care of his employees. He could take care of his own house. And in a time when famine had happened in Israel, Boaz stayed firm and faithful to God. Instead of like Elimelech, Naomi, and their two sons who hightailed out of Israel and went to Moab, the the town or the country of the enemy of God, Boaz stayed faithful and true, and God rewarded and blessed him for it. So here's Boaz, a solid guy, definitely a man of integrity. He's kind. He's a protector. He's respected by many. And what we're going to see throughout the story from here on out is that he is a man of character. He's a godly man. He shows God's love in his kindness to Ruth. And back in chapter 1, the potential to meet Boaz 
was never part of the deal with Ruth and Naomi. So let's not be mistaken here. Ruth did not come to, with Naomi back to Israel because there's this potential to meet a kinsman redeemer named Boaz, who's a wealthy, kind man. That was never part of the deal. And so Ruth didn't know what was going on. Ruth had no clue. Naomi did. Naomi knew there was a, a, a kinsman back in Israel. So this is the beginning of God showing Ruth and Naomi that his protection and provision is always going to be there for the both of them. Now, sometimes we, we have to ask ourselves, why in the world do I question God's work in my life? We, we started the service talking about the storms or the trials, and we don't like trials in our life. We don't sign up for them. We don't really like to, to have God working without us seeing and knowing. For God to be leading in our life without us seeing all of it laid out in front of us can become a very insecure moment in our life. And so when we say, well, why do I question God's work? Sometimes it's because we have trust issues. We really have a very difficult time trusting God. We want to say we believe in a sovereign God. We want to say that we trust that he's in control, but we have real major trust issues that God has in mind what is best for me. And so when, when God begins to work and we don't see it, we don't believe it. But look at Ruth. I mean, God set his work in motion before she was even ready to see it. And so maybe also it's because we have controlling issues. Maybe we have to be in such control that everything that happens in our life is purposely happening because of us. And so we've, we, we have not taken our hands off of the steering wheel and let God control. Uh, we have yet to let God come in and guide. We have control issues. Or maybe it's because we're holding on to our past. Maybe the heavy backpacks of guilt from our past are overwhelming us to where we can't trust in God. We can't see God's work. We can't see in, in anything that he's going to do. We have a difficult time seeing his goodness in our past because we're so overshadowed by the heavy backpack of guilt. And then maybe we're allowing the overwhelming present and the circumstances of the now to take priority of overweighting and seeing what God has in store. Some of us are not naturally patient people. And so for us to be still long enough just to let God do his work until we'll see it, it's a very difficult thing. Proverbs 3 reminds us of this incredible truth. It says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. That's an absolute term. You know what that word all means. It gets us in trouble with arguments with our spouse. You do that all the time, right? An absolute term that just got you on the couch tonight, okay? So we know what all means. It means every bit, every part of. It's an absolute term. And he says, trust in the Lord with all of thine heart. Not a little bit, not sometimes, but every bit of it. And he says, lean not unto thine own understanding. That's our, that's our own abilities. That's our own comprehension. We talked about intuition in our connection group this morning, our growth group. It's, it's, that, it's that part of us that's our gut that says, oh, I'm going to do this because that's my past. That's my experience. That's what I've learned. That's what I've seen. But that intuition overcomes trusting. Okay, So he says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding in all, another absolute, in all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. So here we would find why do we question God's work? It probably comes down to the very fact that we're not willing to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. 
we only give him part of it. We give him enough to feel good about ourselves. We give him enough that hopefully we'll receive some, some, uh, some effect with blessing. Uh, Natalie and I saw a sign this past week when we were at uh, some, some vendor um, for an event this week, and it had a sign that talked about um, the pessimist, the optimist, and the realist. And Natalie is my realist in life. And when we saw this sign, we, we chuckled together. It says, the pessimist complains about the wind. The optimist expects it to change. The realist adjusts the sails. So we need to be more realist in this work of God in our life. Quit sitting back saying, this is just miserable. God's forgotten me. God's led me to the wilderness. God's not going to do anything for me. Quit being optimistic with your head in the clouds, just thinking that everything's going to work out if you just sit back and wait. Be a realist that says, what adjustments in my life do I need to make so that my trust will be expanded and putting it into him? So God is always at work. We just need to trust him. Remember, God will set his work in motion before we are ready to know it. In verse 2 and 3, we're reminded that there is no such thing as chance with God's way. You know the words, chance, happenstance, coincidence, luck, fluke. You know what they mean, and, and too often we use them to describe events in our life. Have you ever said something like this? It was by chance that I ran into them yesterday. I just so happened to stop by his office. What a fluke to have that happen to me. How lucky am I? There's a Russian proverb that says, if you run after luck, you will spoil many pairs of shoes. Because there's no such thing as chance with God's way. Ruth did not know the field that she was going to go to, but God did. And understand this, this scenario. There would have been many farmers who would have been growing their crops in this season. What the law of Moses commanded was for the farmers, Leviticus 19, for the farmers to cut the corners of their fields and to leave the four corners for the poor, the ones in poverty, to come at the end of the day and to take for their own. The law of Moses also commanded for the farmers, if they had accidentally dropped anything to the ground, that they were to leave that behind so that the poor could come and take them. This would have been Israel's form of some welfare system where the wealthy was helping with the poor. So the poor would come. Now, the poor had to act upon it. They weren't going to wait in some line and hope that somebody else was going to go out and gather it and bring it to them and do their work for them. We would see that Ruth had great initiative, hardworking spirit, that she was going to go to the field and she was going to gain permission to go. Why would she gain permission? Well, it had been in the law of Moses for them to be able to go into the fields without permission. The farmers, owners were supposed to do this. But what we were finding even in this time was that these farmers who were thinking back at a famine that they had gone through several years ago, they were remembering those times and being very greedy with their, with their fields. And so there were many fields who they were chasing people away. They were saying, get off my field. You are not welcomed here. But she happened to come across the field of Boaz, a wealthy man, a generous man. Now, you would think that this was a time you would certainly not think to blame these farmers for being greedy with them. But the truth is, is that Mo Boaz was obeying the, the law of God that was passed down from generation, and he was accepting the burden that the law required. And so he would actually discover his bride-to-be 
because of his obedience. You see how this works on both hands? You see how both God is going to take Ruth and bring her to the field? How Boaz just happened to travel to his field that morning? I mean, this is not somebody, Boaz, who just sits in his field waiting to see what's going on every morning. He happened to come by chance to see what God was going to do. Now, I want you to see here, we understand this was not chance, this was not luck, this was not a fluke. None of this exists with following God's way. How might God be using people in your life to do something amazing and incredible, not by chance or not by luck, but by God's design? Or how about this? How does God want to use you in somebody else's life this week? Not by chance, not by fluke, not by luck, but by you being led by God. A God moment where he wants to use you to encourage somebody, to edify somebody, to encourage somebody along the way. Oh, look for those opportunities. Not by chance. I'll do it if it happens to come across me. Pray and be spirit-led for those moments. As we said, I, we noticed something about Ruth, that she was, a, she was a hard worker. She didn't sit back and wait for something to happen. She didn't just hope it would all fall into place. No, she put her faith into action. She put it into action, and she was going to see God's way, not by chance, but because God was ordaining this. And what the world would call blind chance, we know better. Remember Proverbs 3? What did verse 6 say? In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Chance does not direct our life. Luck does not happen for us. Hap happenstance does not give us our guidance. It's all the Spirit of God leading in our life. We just have to be willing to back up enough to identify it as that and to praise God for that. Some of you have pretty incredible stories of how you ended up at Parkway. Some of you have incredible stories about how you learned to trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Some of you have tremendous stories of, of how you met your wife, your husband, or how you uh, have some friends within your community. Some of you have some incredible stories of how your job came about, or the position, or the raise, or the promotion happened. These are incredible stories that we cannot soon forget, but we certainly cannot say it's all because of what I've accomplished or what I did. It's not by chance, luck, fluke, or happenstance. It's not by chance. It's by the work of God in your life. As a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, we submit ourselves to be spirit-led day by day. So when we look back at the blessings, we know that it is his hand, his control, that he is, that he is intentional with how he leads us. So we need to put our faith in action and see God do some incredible, purposeful things in our life. Then verse 4 through 10, the bulk of the, the text. The third lesson is that when we obey God's will, we experience true blessings. You know, we learn a lot about Boaz as he's learning a lot about Ruth. As Ruth is gleaning in the fields, Boaz just so happens to come visiting those fields that morning. Uh, look at the connection with, with his employees, verse number four. Behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, the Lord be with you. What a kind gesture by the owner as, uh, as he responds or, or gives greeting to his employees. And then look what, how they respond. They answered and said, the Lord bless thee. Oh, if they only knew that this 24 hour would be the day that God would bless him greatly. Verse number five, Boaz spots Ruth. Um, or excuse me, Boaz spots Ruth, and, uh, and he says in verse 5, 
Whose damsel is this? You know what that means in the Hebrew? Wowzers, who is that? That's a little translation in the Hebrew. Now, after he catches his breath, his men respond in verse 6 and 7 with the description. And notice how often throughout the text that the term Moabite or Moabitess or Moabitish, uh, the Moabite woman, the Moabite damsel, Ruth the Moabitess. Uh, these are words that are always connected because the author wants us to make sure we clearly identify that this is an outsider who is going to be receiving grace by the kinsman redeemer. This is an outsider, a foreigner. This is somebody that's not a part of the elect. This is somebody that has come from the outside, not as God's chosen Israel. Now, this is really important for us as we read through the text because it gives us all great assurance and confidence that you and I, as a stranger, met our rescuer, our kinsman redeemer, who brought us in, who extended his love and grace to us so that we did not have to remain a stranger, but that we can be adopted into the family of God. And today we sit with great confidence and assurance that we'll have an eternity in a place called heaven and we'll be in all of his glory, not because of anything we have done, but because of the grace that was extended by Jesus Christ. So when we read through this text, there's purpose and reason of why that is identified with who Ruth was because the change is going to be so drastic. Now remember Ruth, she comes into the Davidic line. Ruth is going to marry Boaz, and we're kind of jumping way ahead a couple of chapters, but as she, if you didn't know, she marries Boaz, and things get really great, and now the line of David, King David, will come, which then the line of Jesus Christ will come through that family line. So Ruth, this is a special story. And in verse number eight, we, we, th we see, okay, slow things down, Boaz, okay? Things are going fast. He comes to the field, he sees the damsel, whose damsel is this? They respond to the description. No doubt that this is a moment where Boaz needs to take a deep breath. This is a magical moment when man meets woman. His heart is pounding, fireworks explode in the background, romantic music begins to play, beautiful smells always seem to fill the air, and then she meets Mr. McDreamy. Now, I remember some of those first encounters with Natalie Moore back in 1998, on the campus of Bob Jones University. There were moments where I was um, a little nervous, maybe a little insecure, but I wanted to play it cool. I remember our first date, we went and played ping pong and a double date with some friends, the people who introduced us to each other. And we were on the same team. And uh, I remember I'd pick up the ping pong ball and try to hand it to her, it's her serve, and I'd be really shaky. She was giggling. I was like, Dude, she's making fun of me. Okay, I'm really nervous and I just didn't know what to do. And, um, and, but she was very kind. Um, what was so different back in those days was she was a freshman worried about her microbiology test that later, or that week later. I was a junior trying to figure out how I'm going to propose marriage to her, all right? So we were in two different worlds on our first date. So I just didn't know what was going on. But actually, we dated for four years before we ever got married. So we definitely took our time. But when we think about that moment here with Boaz and Ruth, this was a God-ordained special moment. God provided for Ruth through Boaz. And that's what we see here in the text. Because after that day, Ruth is gonna, she's going to carry home more, more grain than any reaper in Israel's history. She is going to go back to Naomi with loads after loads because Boaz is going to take care of her needs. 
God was faithful to reward Ruth for her obedience to his will. We find in the text that in Boaz's field, Ruth is going to find compassion. He says, to hang out here with my other maidens. Uh, so she's going to find this, this uh, companionship, not compassion. Um, also in his field, she's going to find protection. Boaz commanded all the young men not to touch her. And then Ruth also found refreshment. He says, when you get thirsty, uh, go and get some drink from the, from the provisions that the men have drawn from the well. And so verse number 10, here's her response. Boaz has already promised her companionship, protection, provisions through the water. And he says in verse number 10, then she fell on her face and bowed herself to the ground and said unto him, why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me or pay attention to me, seeing that I am just a stranger? Now, Ruth, still at this moment, doesn't know that Boaz is related to Naomi. Boaz knows this. Uh, remember back in verse number 6, they said, oh, this is uh, the woman that's come, this is the daughter-in-law that's come with Naomi. And uh, he's like, wow, there's some possibility here. Now, the phrase that she says, it means a lot when you think about it. Because this is, this is the soon-to-be kinsman redeemer, Boaz. And it's a picture of Jesus Christ that Boaz portrays for us. She says, why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou should take knowledge of me, that you should pay attention to me, seeing that I am a stranger? Have you ever had that moment with God where you thought, why am I important to you? Why do you pay attention to me? I'm just a stranger. We were once an enemy of God, but now we have the privilege to be seated at his table. And that didn't happen by chance. That doesn't happen by luck or a fluke. It didn't happen by happenstance. It happened by the will of God working on our behalf. You see, Jesus Christ came to this earth to be the perfect sacrifice for all of us. The Bible tells us that Jesus was tempted in all points like we are, yet without sin. When they were reminded in Romans 3, 23, that all is sin and come short of the glory of God, we think that there's no answer. We're destitute to eternity in hell, separated from God's holiness, and that all is in despair. But what ends up happening is, is we're told very quickly about this free gift that comes from God. And Romans 6 follows by telling us for the wages, the payment for our sin is death, eternal damnation. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the free gift of salvation has been paid for on our behalf that we can receive and put our faith and trust in him alone for. Now, among us today are many examples of people who have said, I'm tired of living for myself. I'm tired of trusting in my good works. I'm tired of thinking that getting wet in a Baptist tank or thinking that sitting in the church pew or giving in the offering is going to get me anywhere. And these people in here have said, I can only put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for my eternal salvation. The Bible reminds us in Romans 10 that if we'll confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead. Jesus Christ died for us, but he came back to life. God raised him from the dead. And if you believe that, you can be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, 
and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So today, if you're here as a seeker, trying to figure out what is next in life or what this all means, even in an Old Testament text, like a, a historical text like this, where, yeah, we're, we're all enamored by the romance of Ruth meeting Boaz, but even in that example, we would see that Ruth, in her exclamation of saying, why are you showing kindness to me, grace to me? Why are you paying attention to me? It's the same way that we can look to Jesus Christ as our Savior, though we are not worthy of anything from him. He still extends his salvation to all. Now, all of us in here, you know, life gets messy, doesn't it? God will set his work in motion before we are ready to know it. There is no such thing as chance with God's way. And when we obey God and his will, we experience true blessing. Hey, today, guess what? You're not going to meet Mr. McDreamy. Some of you might. You're praying hard and you're hoping. But we're not meeting Mr. McDreamy today. But what we have met is a Savior named Jesus Christ. And because of that, these wonderful lessons can be lived out. When your life gets messy, keep remembering to trust in God with all of your heart.